0: 12 verse 1 starts with something that's hard to understand it says therefore we also therefore we also if you enjoy studying your Bible then you need to know that anytime a chapter in the Bible starts with a therefore the therefore is placed there to let you know that the next point that will be made will be established and a continuation of the previous points that were already made. The therefore is the big right hook that, that gives the knockout punch to the idea. But all of the jabs are and the body shots are set up by the previous points that preceded it. So when under... And, In order to understand Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, therefore we also, we have to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. And Hebrews chapter 11 happens to be uh, the hall of fame of faith in scripture. Where the writer pulls all of scripture's champions into one chapter, mentions their stories and exploits, and lets you know that the one thread they all had in common was they all had faith in the same God. I'll read a little bit of it for you. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Don't read over that too fast. You need to understand something. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but you have to have a hope before you can use a faith. I'm going to say it again. You have to have an established hope before you can use any faith. If hope is the destination you're trying to get to, faith becomes the bridge. But without hope, faith is a bridge to nowhere. That's why you should never come to God without expectation. Look at your neighbor and say, what do you need from the Lord? What do you want from the Lord? Because you have to first establish a hope before faith will do you any good. For by it, verse 2, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Every time I read that, I say, God, if you testified about Abel's gifts, let me give you a gift that you'll testify about. I'd like to give an offering that God would testify about. I'd like to build an altar that God would testify about. I'd like to do something in my life like Abel did that God would testify about. Verse five, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is but that's not all you must believe and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him by faith. Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him to the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself, also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. The the, the, the scripture's just giving you a taste of of all of its heroes and how they used faith to win victory. I, I love what it says there in verse 11, by faith Sarah herself because a lot of times when we talk about Isaac, the miracle child, being born to the patriarch of faith, Abraham, we make it seem like it was just Abraham's faith that made the miracle happen. But the miracle could not happen based off Abraham's faith alone. Sarah herself had to get involved in the process and believe God for her own self. It said Sarah herself received strength. She's an old woman she's out of season and she's got a broken body. And yet she is mentioned for all of the people who have been told by the enemy you're too late. For all of the people that think you missed your moment when it pertains to the promises of God, for all of the people that the enemy has told you that you're too old and you should have gotten involved 10 years ago, or you should have done something for God 20 years ago, or for the people that have a promise hanging over your life but you're broken in your body. And the devil's telling you, you can't do something for God because of the brokenness of your body or because of the advanced stage of your age. Sarah is mentioned to show you a old woman out of season with a broken body could still possess and birth the promises of God with nothing except faith in the one who Promised. In fact, if the enemy's been telling you about how old you are, or how you missed your moment, or how you're not on time and you're too late and how you failed, I just want to tell you receive the same strength that Sarah received. Receive the same strength that caused this old woman to birth. What God had promised in her life. When God makes a promise, he doesn't check your particulars. When God makes a promise, he doesn't check your age. When God makes a promise, he doesn't check with your circumstances. In fact, God's promises look the best when your circumstances look the worst. By faith, Sarah herself received strength. And then Abraham's mentioned, it says he looked For a city that God promised him. And he he went out. Heading toward it. And didn't know where he was going. He's, He's mentioned for all of the people. Who are looking for something. But you don't quite know what it is. Got this nagging, gnawing feeling that God is drawing you and leading you and and you're following after, but, but you don't exactly know where you're going. When God puts something like that down on the inside of you, people around you think you look crazy. Because they just see you moving and they and they just see you looking and they, they just see you going oh, no, that ain't it, and then you go over here, no, 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 that, that 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 ain't it. And and Abraham had to go through a lot of places that were not it before he found the place that was it. And every person that ever lives and truly walks by faith, you will go through a lot of not it's before you find the it. Don't get frustrated when every place you step into and every sphere you step into does not receive you and does not fit you. Don't think there's something wrong with you because you have been an outcast in every circle that you've ever tried desperately to connect to. Because when God has really put something down in your spirit, when he's put nations down on the inside of you, you will never fit at home and feel at home in any place except where you have been destined. To walk and, and, and Abraham's just looking he's, he's just looking I know it's there I just I just hadn't seen it yet for all of the people that know it's there for all the people saying deep on the inside there has got to be more than what I'm seeing now because I'm looking at it and I don't know what it is yet, but I know what it ain't. And this ain't it. Oh, I feel like I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to somebody. Frustrated in your spirit because you know what you're looking at. And you just keep telling yourself, this ain't it. I know I got a promise and I know this ain't it. I know I got a destiny and I know this ain't Somebody holler, this ain't it. Don't look at your spouse when you say it, but say it again. Say, this ain't. I like Katie when she goes shopping. She don't shop a lot, but when she does, And all the salespeople come running over to her looking for a commission because she got that look in her eye. She's going to do some damage today. And they come over and they, they start showing her things. And she looks and she said, that ain't it. That ain't it either. That ain't it. And they said, what are you looking for? Don't know. But I'll know it. I don't know how long you've been walking in faith looking for a city that's builder and maker is God I don't know how long you've been walking frustrated trying to find out which door opens the door to the room you were destined to be in but God sent me here to tell you don't be discouraged keep on walking in your faith and you will know it when you Touch three people, say, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my The writer mentions the heroes of the Old Testament, and he reminds us they weren't perfect. They were flawed. People just like you and I, yet they fought a good fight. They saw miracles. They finished their race. Because of their faith in God. So he ends chapter 11 with that point and says, therefore, we also. He wants you to know they believed and had faith in the same God you and I believe and had faith in. He's hoping you will deduce that if faith in God was enough for them, therefore we also can see victory, experience miracles, finish our race because of faith in God. He says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded, since we are surrounded. Now that word surrounded there in the Greek. That's amphitheater terminology. He's using an allegory. He's using a teaching tool. Basically, what he's creating is a word picture. Coliseums were popular in their day. And the great Coliseums is where the stands would be filled. And they would watch down in the center as the people were running a race. Or as they were fighting or as they were doing whatever they were doing, they were surrounded by those sitting in the amphitheater. And the writer is letting us know that as we run our race, as we walk out this Christian life of faith, we're not doing it by ourselves. We're being watched by a cloud of witnesses. So he fills the amphitheater with all of the great heroes of faith. And and he calls the crowd a cloud of witnesses. Sometimes you win because you know you're being watched. Last summer, my workout partner went to Europe for two months I didn't have anybody to work out with. So I asked Derek if he would go to the gym with me every day at nine o'clock and uh, work out during the summer. And we did for two straight months, work out every day. But you know, uh, Derek's a big guy. Strong guy. And and so I'm walking I'm walking in the gym with Derek, you know, and I found myself when we were doing all the lifts I found myself trying to push just a little bit more. Because I found something out you'll push a little harder. When somebody you respect is watching, this is the idea of the text. He puts all of scripture's heroes in the stands, and he says, now it's your turn. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's wanting them to know. People that got up and worked every morning without the benefit of Starbucks coffee. They're in the stands. People that did their laundry in a creek with no running water, no washer, no dryer. They're in the stands. People that raised eight, nine, and 10 kids without iPads, Netflix, or baby swings. They're in the stands. People that had no air condition, no heat. In many cases, no roof over their head. They're in the stands. And they made it by faith in God. And they're watching you with your iPhone. Talk about how I can't take this no more. And he wants you to know the only thing you have in common with them. Let me tell you we ain't built like that today. The only thing you have in common with them is you're holding on to the same faith in the same God that they were. Understand when you say I have faith in God That faith in God you have is the same faith that David was standing there with when he was looking at a giant running toward him. When you say, I have faith in God, it's the same faith Elijah was standing there with in front of 450 false prophets of Baal when he prayed fire down out of heaven. It is the same faith. It is the same God. We'll do more on verse one in a minute. Let me quickly hit verse two and three. Verse two starts beautifully. It says, looking unto Jesus. Everybody say looking. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then look at verse three. Consider him. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. And then he gives an interesting warning. He says, look at Jesus and consider Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Let me belabor the point. Look at Jesus, consider Jesus. Because he says, if you don't, you'll become weary and discouraged in your soul. That's powerful. Looking unto Jesus. Consider him lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. I looked that up in the Greek. You know what it means? Weary and discouraged in your soul. It means to faint in your mind, to faint in your mental health, to faint in your emotional well-being. You've all seen somebody faint physically. He says, but if you don't look at Jesus... And if you don't consider Jesus, the same way people can faint physically, you can faint in your mind, in your mental health, and in your emotions. There are many believers today who have fainted in their minds. The struggles of life have exhausted them on the inside, and they're still walking around. The lights are on, but nobody's home. And some of you, you haven't fallen over yet internally, but You're on the verge of a mental and emotional breakdown, on the verge of exhaustion, about to faint in your mind. And the psalmist David got to that point. He got right to the edge of fainting in his mind, fainting on the inside. And he wrote about it. He said, I would have fainted had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David teaches us before the book of Hebrews does that there is something mysterious. It's a spiritual law that's tied to faith. David said, I almost fainted. But when I believed there was something about my belief system that caught me when I was fainting and stood me back up again. And the writer of the book of Hebrews said it like this. He said, if you'll keep looking at Jesus and considering him, I love it. Looking at Jesus and considering him. There's something about looking at Jesus and considering him that will keep you from fainting in your mind. It will beat All of the exhaustion and discouragement out of your spirit. It will drive out the fatigue of the emotions. It will drive out the scourge of mental health disorders just by looking and considering Jesus. So I want to tell all of you who have been struggling in your mind, let me give you a pill you can pop. Let me give you a prescription that'll help you. Look at Jesus and consider him. Look at at Jesus and consider him. That's why when I came up here I started singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Every single day you ought to look at Jesus, consider. Him. Listen, most Christians leave the gospel after they've used it for salvation. Not that they forsake the truth of it, but they move on from it. Because as an unbeliever The gospel of Jesus Christ preached to you will save your soul. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Right. But then a lot of people get saved and they feel, well, I've already heard the gospel. I've already accepted Jesus Christ. So they move on from that. But the first time you hear the gospel, it saves you, right? But every other time you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's doing something different to the inside of you. It's going in and attacking discouragement. It's going in and attacking anxiety. It's going in and attacking weariness in your mind. It's restoring your soul. It's rejuvenating you. So again, I say, look unto Jesus and consider him. The old folks used to say, Jesus in the morning... Jesus in the noontime. Jesus until the sun goes down. You need to get back to walking around your house, singing to yourself about Jesus. You need to get back to murmuring or muttering in your own mouth and in your own heart on the way to work. Stuff about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Talk to your children about Jesus. Talk to your spouse about Jesus. Think about Jesus when you're going to work. Talk about Jesus when you're going to work. Think about Jesus, talk about Jesus, think about Jesus, talk about Jesus, consider Jesus, meditate on Jesus, sing about Jesus, think about Jesus, talk about Jesus, consider Jesus. And what's happening is on the inside, the weariness and discouragement of everyday life. And of dealing with issues, and of dealing with crazy people, and of dealing with devils, you know. I uh somebody asked me the other day. Sometimes I get around people and and they know what I do for a living, and they want to counsel me. <laughs> They said, you know, every, y'all going to get so mad at me. Some of y'all when I say this, but it's all It's my life. They said, you know, every preacher, every pastor needs a therapist. They said, you've seen all these preachers committing suicide. You know, you see all these preachers falling apart, losing their families, you know, quitting on life. They said, there's something about taking care of people, shepherding people, loving people, walking people through the darkest moments of their life. They said, there's something about that that has an effect on you on the inside. And you need some therapy. You need a place where you can go and sit down and talk to somebody about what you're going through on the inside, because you check on everybody else. You you, you deal with everybody else. You counsel everybody else. Who's counseling the counselor? It's dangerous to be a counselor that doesn't have a counselor. It's dangerous to be out there taking care of awful issues and awful things and always have your phone on and go into the hospital and go into graveyards. It, it's, it's dangerous to put yourself through that kind of mental torture and not have a therapist for yourself. And I thought about it and I said, you know, I watched my grandmama and my granddaddy lose everything in the world that they had. I watched them suffer and bleed, all while calling out to God in faith. I watched them go without, I watched them work their fingers to the bone, I watched them bury their grandchild, I watched them bury their son, I watched them go through things that put most people in the nut house. And all of the time I thought about it, they did have a therapist. (laughs) His name was Jesus. You could walk in on my grandmama. She'd be doing dishes, singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Thinking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Singing about Jesus. Thinking about Jesus. Looking at Jesus. Considering Jesus. I said to that friend, I said, I watched my mama and daddy come to San Antonio with nothing. I watch my mama and daddy build things by faith. I watch people walk off and leave them. I've seen the depths of financial problems and the grip, the death grip of severe debt. I watched this live in a travel trailer. I was born in a travel trailer. I was born in the worst conditions imaginable and I watched them be betrayed by people. I watched them be, be bamboozled by people. I watched them be stolen from by people i've watched people break their hearts and every time their heart was broken and they got all the way to the edge of falling apart i noticed something they be walking around talking to jesus walking around saying something to jesus looking at jesus considering jesus thinking about jesus worshiping jesus praying to jesus there's something about jesus that You don't hear this preacher. I said, There's something about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I feel it now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over your anxiety. Jesus over your depression. Jesus over the hell you're going through. Jesus. I said, i got a therapist he's a wonderful counselor he's the mighty god and he's the everlasting father he's the seed of abraham and the root of jesse he is god manifested in the flesh he goes by the name of jesus christ and 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 get a therapist if you want to pop a bunch of pills if you want to But as for me and my house, when all hell is breaking loose against us, when we want to quit, when we're about to faint in our mind, faint in our marriage, faint with our children, faint in our finances, we know where to go. There is still a rock of ages. There's a cleft for me. There's still a hiding place. There's still a secret place. There's still a known as the name of the Lord where the righteous can run into I don't know if you know what I'm talking about but if there's anybody in here that knows the power of taking Jesus for whatever else you taking Jesus for whatever's wrong taking Jesus when you're sick in your body taking Jesus If you know what I'm saying, take a quick pause and give God a praise for the gift of Jesus, for the name of Jesus, for the blood of Jesus, for the spirit of Jesus, for the peace of Jesus, for the power of Jesus, for the love of He'll get you through cancer. He'll get you through diabetes. He'll get you through grief. He'll get you through a mournful soul. He'll get you through your dark days. He'll get you through trouble with your children. Jesus will. Jesus will. I wish you'd push three people and help me spread that rumor. Jesus will. Jesus will. When people won't... Jesus will. When the government won't, Jesus will. When your own family won't, Jesus will. I'm a living witness surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that's here to tell you Jesus. Jesus. He will. But you're not thinking about it. You're not considering him. Not looking unto him. Every day, start your day with Jesus. My wife walks around with our screaming infant. Toting her and patting her on the butt saying, I woke up this morning with my mind. Stay on Jesus. Woke up this morning with my mind. Stay on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not a cuss word when you get mad, Jesus. Oh, I feel him in here this morning therefore let me go back to verse 1 a little bit therefore we also enough with this demon doctrine that we can't experience in the New Testament post the cross what they experienced in the Bible Enough with this demonic doctrine that healing is not for today. Enough with this demonic doctrine that prophecy and miracles and visions and seeing angels, enough with that. It's not a new faith. He's not a new God. Therefore, we Also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, notice this language, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let me draw a quick line of delineation distinction between weight and sin because everything that's a weight isn't necessarily a sin procrastination that's not a sin can be a weight though refusing to confront issues because I'm a non-confrontational person And just letting mess go on under your nose for years and years and years and never confronting it because you don't have the courage to fight. That's not a sin. But it can be a a way. Failing to budget. It's not a sin. But it can be a way. Failing to diet. I need to get back on Jesus. We had a good church. and I was preaching Jesus. I said failing to diet is not a sin. Paul said, for me, all things are lawful. But not all things are expedient. Failing to diet, it may not be a sin, but it can be a and it can add a whole bunch of. <laughs> Are you blaming God for things going so tough in your race? It's so hard to run. It's so hard to run this race of faith. It's so hard to keep believing and breathing. It's so hard to keep. Are you blaming God for stuff that really is just a result of you not laying aside the weight? Are you carrying things on your Christian race that are unnecessary weights? What he's telling people is you got faith. Great. So did they, but you've got to remove some hindrances. I ain't saying you're going to hell. I ain't saying you ain't saved, but you've got some hindrances. You've got some things in your life that are hindering your best output in your faith. That are hindering the results you should be getting from your prayers. That are hindering the harvest. You should be reaping from your seeds. There's some hindrances there. How many hindrances are you carrying? And how many of them are in your cell phone? You know. You know how God brings people into your life. To help you. Sometimes the enemy brings people into your life to simply slow you down, weigh you down, drain you, and frustrate you. Listen to me. If you're attached to a hindrance, you know what you could do? You could lay aside that weight. Some people like weights though sometimes if you're abused or you're hurt in some way sometimes you carry around this feeling of worthlessness or this this feeling of being somehow irreparably stained or guilty and sometimes when life gets better Because it was so hard in the beginning, when it gets better, you're not comfortable because you're used to chaos. When it gets peaceful, you're not comfortable because your normal is crazy. So God can lead you as a good shepherd into a green pasture and it make you uncomfortable. So you start looking for weights you can attach yourself to to bring you back down to what's familiar. And the writer said. You'd run so much better. If you just laid it aside. I want to tell you today, wherever you are, it's a word from God for your life. There's some stuff you could lay aside. There's some weight you could lay aside. Listen to me, losing 15 pounds ain't ever hurt anybody. Stare at your pastor. I'll be here next week. I'm okay. Putting the fork down a little bit, never hurt anybody. Taking some vitamins, going for a walk in the morning and in the evening. It ain't never hurt anybody. Stop calling me to pray for your aching knees and your arthritis when you are sitting on the couch eating ding-dongs and ice cream seven days a week and won't go on a diet. That is a weight. It's a weight. Not a sin. It's a weight. Lay it aside. There's some relationships you need to lay aside. I'm not talking about your spouse. You made a covenant with them, but. (laughs) No, I'm not going to say that. Fifteen packages a day at your door from Amazon. You know why I came over here to say it. Not a sin might be a way. Spending $8 a day on coffee on your way to work. you Make it better yourself at home. Learn how to do it. It's not a sin. But it could be a weight. You understand what I'm saying? He's telling you. Every problem that you're dealing with isn't demons. And every problem that you're dealing with doesn't need fire to fall out of heaven and a miracle to show up in order to be straightened out. You got faith. Now, let's deal with some weights. But then he says, and I also want you to. I love the terminology. Listen to it. Feel it in your spirit. He said, I also want you to just take that particular the sin. The one that so easily besets you. Because your the sin ain't my the sin. That's why you should never judge anybody. Because their the isn't your it. Everybody's got a the sin. He said, I want you to lay that one aside because it's the one that so easily so easily ensnares us now when he speaks about sin there's three theological things you need to know so that you can put the text in proper context and understand what he's saying because it's powerful let's look at first from a theological perspective the three aspects of sin If you don't know this already, you need to. Number one, there's the penalty of sin. You might know this from Romans. The wages or the penalty or the recompense or the consequences of sin is that word death does not just mean cessation of life. It also means separation from God eternally forever. That's the wages or the penalty of sin. Number two, you have the presence of sin. And then number three, you have the practice of sin. Let's deal with each of them according to the scripture. Number one, the penalty of sin. As a believer and as a Christian, you must have this knowledge rooted deep down in your spirit or you will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You have to know as it pertains to number one, the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ has already taken off of you what you could not take off of yourself. When Paul talks about laying aside the sin, he cannot be talking about laying aside the penalty of sin because we were born in sin. Sin was in our nature. We could never lay aside the penalty of sin off of ourselves. In fact, the reason Jesus came was to remove to lay aside the penalty of sin on our behalf. They they were arguing <clears throat> I like to listen to brainy theological podcasts. And they were arguing these two geniuses, <laughs> commentary writers, they were arguing about who ultimately, who really was responsible for killing Jesus? Was it the Jews or was it the Romans? And I, and I thought about it. Say, who was responsible? No, the scripture does say he, he was killed. But, but uh, Stephen said that in his message in Acts. But, but think about it who was responsible for killing Jesus? And I screamed in my chair as I was listening to it. I said, neither. I killed him. It was my judgment, my penalty. It was the debt I owed that he took on himself that got him killed. I was more responsible and you were more responsible than the Jews or the Romans. Isaiah said, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God the Father and afflicted He was wounded, watch, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. So on the cross, Jesus Christ traded places with us. Do you understand? On the cross, he became us so that we could become him. Second Corinthians five says it like this. He that knew no sin became sin so that we who knew no righteousness could become the righteousness of God by faith in him. He traded places with us so effectively that he said, when you go to pray to the father, don't even use your name. But whatever you ask the Father in my name, I've traded places with you so effectively that when you bow your head to pray, my Father ain't even seeing you. He's seeing me. Jesus on the cross was treated by God like he was me. So that in prayer, God can treat me like I'm Jesus. He laid aside the penalty of sin. Then number two, you have the presence of sin. God has not dealt with that yet. And he will not deal with that as it pertains to you as an individual until you die or are raptured. Nobody on the face of this earth has been delivered from the presence of sin. It's always there. It's always going to be there until this world is remade by our God. Okay, you understand that? I don't care how holy they say they are. They are not freed from the presence of sin. You will be freed from it when you die. Romans said, he that is dead is freed from sin. And then number three, the only other aspect of sin is the practice of sin, how many of you are saved? Amen. you know you're saved Raise your hand Good. okay hands down. how many of you have sinned since you've been saved? Me. Me, sir. We know I know we we, we we know it's a safe bet. He's not telling us to deal with what we can't deal with. Jesus did that. He took care of the penalty. He's not even telling us to remove ourselves from the presence of it because it's in you. Paul said, I've noticed two laws. He said, with my mind and spirit, I long to do the will of God. But I noticed another law that, that in my flesh, there's no good thing. And when I would to do good, evil is present, not outside me, is present within me. You're never going to be free from the presence of sin. So all you have to focus on then as a believer to obey this scripture is you have to look at the practice of sin. Those those things that you pet, those things that you practice with. Those things that you deal with. And he said, your race will be easier if you lay it aside. I would never presume to judge somebody in their sin. Jesus said not to. I ain't saying you're going to hell. Jesus paid it all. But I'm saying, I'm saying, You're struggling in that race and there's a weight and a sin that you could just lay aside because of what Jesus has done dealing with the penalty. We have the grace to be able to look at our dysfunctions and look at our things and just. Be empowered to lay it aside. Let me help you in your life. Find whatever that thing is. The sin. Start wrestling with it. Stop submitting to it. Stop serving it. Stop letting it rule over you. And start, even if it's once a day, you know. don't get in condemnation. I'm such a sinner. No, 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 no. Just, just start, start practicing letting go of the practice. Start practicing letting go of the habit. Start practicing laying that one thing. If it's your temper. If it's your tongue. No, it seems like this. I've thought this all my life. Derek, you know what? Nobody can cuss as good as a Christian. (laughs) Again, we know I know. (laughs) I'm just playing. So, but listen. If it's your lust, if it's your pride, whatever that thing is that so easily ensnares you, your race will be better. Your blessing will be fuller. Your strength will be greater. Your testimony will be stronger. Your anointing will increase. The presence of God in your life will increase if if you just start practicing, laying it aside. You ain't got to be perfect. That's what the blood of Jesus is for. But start practicing. How many can sit there and and acknowledge and know? I got some weight and some sin I need to lay aside. Come on, how many of you there? I got some weight and some sin I need to lay aside. Right now, God the Holy Ghost is showing you what it is. No confusion. No walking out, not being clear on it. Right now, God the Holy Ghost, through his word, is showing you what it is. Listen to me. I can't lay aside your weight for you. I would if I could. I love you. I can't lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares you. This is something God has given you, the grace and, listen to me, and the freedom and the space to do. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run our race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. If you love the Lord, clap your hands.